Well, good afternoon. I actually had a bonus episode that I didn't even realize. It was a bonus episode of that psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy global summit, what have you. Today was about what clinicians need to know about non-ordinary states. I've talked about this before, non-ordinary states. What's beautiful is over the past four years that I've been doing this podcast, I've gone from being um, an outlier uh, to... Actually, I guess you could say prophetic because uh, the theories that I've put forward in um, my podcast have come true. Uh, what I'm getting at here is they open up talking about these non-ordinary states are not strictly psychedelics. Right? So this was uh, with uh, Dr. Ron Siegel, who wrote a book recently about uh, you know um, managing of the self, which is all this is about. I've talked about this, right? Uh, um, you know, the self. So, uh, he's assistant uh, professor of psychotherapy or psychology for years, for decades. Uh, he's had a background in mindfulness and compassion practices. Um, so, he uh, mentions uh, chanting, fasting, uh, vision quests. Uh, all of these are non-ordinary states, right? And so, this uh, uh, seminar is about how... Why? Uh, how does it help? Uh, so why have non-ordinary states been a part of our human experience since pretty much the dawn of, uh, of us? So he goes on and talks about hypnosis, uh, what they called rational um, mesmerism, uh, Freud. He mentions free association, Freud in 1892, but again, young this is just active imagination by another name. Mindfulness, he says it goes back to 2500 BCE. <laughs> okay, again, somebody who's only learned about Buddhism, and that's what he thinks mindfulness comes from. Uh, but again, I love that they even admit that I was right about CBD, uh, CBT, and mindfulness-based cognitive therapy, that they should have stressed impermanence. And so now we're having, what would you call it, a... A renaissance from CB, CBD and DBT. And so he talks about how uh, from the 50s and 60s, there was thousands of papers, 40,000 patients being treated uh, with hallucinogens, right? All that came to an end. And they talk about that a little bit uh, later, how Stan Groff developed the, uh, the uh, holotropic breathing so that we can still get into that. He mentions how even the DSM-5, I've mentioned this before, how there was a, a split uh, and he oversimplified it. He said there was a split between the splitters and the lumpers when they were designing the DSM-5. So some people wanted more categories. Some people said that uh, everybody was a mix of the different categories, so adding more categories was just overcomplicating it. Uh, but the question was, what are these universals that we're missing in human psychology? So he went through uh, trying to find the source of suffering, right? these universals, right? this idea of what is true about our psyche, our experience. So the first one was this emotional or experiential avoidance. Again, fits directly into Buddhism. This is acceptance. This is Nietzsche's Amorfate, uh, the eternal return, eternal recurrence. Right. So we tend to avoid poisons, pull away from pain, uh, if it's a survival instinct, that works. But if we avoid emotional or experiential um, uh, situations, like we mentioned before, depression, 
actually has you um, pull away from the world and communication and connection, and that just makes the depression worse. So he says the exact same thing. Right? Uh, he goes on. I like this. He mentioned this instead of mentioning Buddhism, but he mentions that uh, Shakespeare said, parting is such sweet sorrow. He said it isn't depression. Sadly, I don't believe they had uh, the word back then, so he couldn't have used it because uh, he made a joke. Well, we wouldn't still be reading him if he had said parting is such sweet depression. No, because, yeah, terrible writing. Never mind. The word didn't work. But again, that might be my uh, neurodivergional, uh, you know, being too serious about this stuff, right? So we talk about not trying to feel pain, avoidance, non-attachment, Right, because it's true. Uh, we try to um, what you call it? What's the word they call it? But um, you're distracting yourself from the pain. But by distracting yourself, so you don't pay attention to the pain, this avoidance is actually more of a fixation on. So he goes on from there, and he says our ancestors. He mentions Lucy, Australopithecus, uh, one of her first ancestors, uh, and what was her survival? Um, Adaptation. What made her survive? What, what what allowed her to be our ancestor? And he says it was, and I broke it down to being a thinker is success, as Jung told us, not being unconscious. Um, but it's this negativity bias plus our cognition. So he mentions type 1 and type 2 errors. Type 1 error is, I've talked about this in Buddhism and in, in Vedanta, it's the, the stick and the snake. He used the example of a rock or a lion. Type 1 error is you think it's a lion, but it's just a rock. Whoop, no problem. You can survive multiple of those, uh, but you can only handle so many type 2 errors where you look at what you thought was a rock, but it was actually a lion, right? Um, so it's an argument of how our ape selves survived. So, right, the most aware, present, most negative uh, are the ones that survived, right? So I wrote down, right, acceptance is key. Right, so how do we work through this stuff? He mentions mindfulness and compassion. He says, again, a new insight we've had over the years is awareness of our present experience is not enough. Remember I talked about that book, McMindfulness. So he says, most important of all is, is awareness of our present experience with loving acceptance. Right? Or, uh, this is a shortcut for those who can't achieve what the Buddha originally taught, this never or ceaseless uh, focus, never-ending focus, satisampigjanya. Uh, so we've learned since the beginning that focus is not enough. Uh, then he talks about uh, the importance of loving acceptance. He gives a puppy as an example, that the mind is similar to a puppy. It tends to make a mess, but we don't look at the mind the way we look at a puppy, right? We, we tend to... Uh, forgive the puppy for its uh, for its transgressions, but we tend to be much harder on ourselves. Uh, I chuckle because I'm actually I'm a bit of a a maximalist uh, when it comes to this. I I am uh, pretty tough on just about everyone and everything equally, but more tough on the self, which is funny. So it still applies to me, even though I don't look at a puppy with you know absolute loving acceptance. You know, that's that's what we would call paternalism. You know, everybody can learn to do better, and, and, and that's what we're here for. 
So he mentions mindfulness and psychedelic-assisted therapy, uh, the synergies. Uh, mindfulness is useful for preparation, helps the therapist with their presence. I talked about this. Mindfulness, they don't want to get in the way, certainly in psychedelic-assisted therapy. But more importantly, um, you have to be on guard about your uh, emotional regulation so you don't make theirs worse. And, and they have to be there so that they can give them the right encouragement and all that. And then the third, this is now, once again, finally coming full circuit, integration. The importance of integration. Right? So he says, what are these antidotes to help right, with this whole thing here? So one, he says, we must befriend our demons. And he says, we, we, we can, with psychedelic-assisted therapy, but I think, again, any sort of practice uh, that can get us into this... Um, uh, alternate state, we can finally integrate. He talks about small T and large T traumas, right? Because that seems to be the most common thing that people have to work with. But he mentions how the Buddha sat under the Bodhi tree, and he gets the time wrong, but neither here nor there. The message is true because Mara came to torment him, same as we are, tormented by our, our past, by our uh, attachments, by, by just things that we won't give up. It says, second is a metacognitive awareness. Right? This is beautiful. This is exactly what I was talking about. This, this belief in something more. Right? Uh, and here, thoughts are not facts. I am not my thought. It talks about this need for a fluidity or an impermanence of thought. I mean, again, I talked about this. Impermanence is, is the key here. Right? So we've moved towards uh, replacing a maladaptive thought to accepting all as experience. And I think that's a bit of a mistake. Uh, we do have to um, change maladaptive thoughts, uh, but, but the way we would do that would be uh, by acceptance. Right? So he said, third is embrace impermanence. I talked about this, how absolutely desperately important that is. And fourth, he said, is transpersonal awareness. That's just equanimity by another name. That's what I've talked about. The third John is a glimpse that you are not the center of the universe, and there is a possible understanding of this equanimity. Right? So he goes on, uh, talks about the Good Friday experiment I've talked about over and over again, Walter um, Panky. But more importantly, um, I want to mention these four uh, experiences that uh, Walter Penke talked about. So mysticism, was it an internal or an external unity? Right? So internal. Did you find, like Jung's idea of the integration of the self, or was it external, that equanimity thing that I said? Then there's a noetic quality. This is just a deeper understanding of everything. And the fourth is sacredness. Well, so we got to my favorite part here. So as I said, there was this um, well-known experiment, the uh, Good Friday experiment in the Marsh Chapel experiment 1962 Walter Punky Punky kind of funny so the takeaway from this was uh, they asked um, these seminary students to come in they gave them 30 milligrams of psilocybin and uh, no surprise they all had uh, mystical experiences but what I found interesting is is uh, Dr. Penke broke down these experiences into different categories. So the first was mysticism, 
was it internal or external unity? Again, I find that um, screams of Carl Jung again. Then it mentions noetic quality, right? So the definition of noetic quality is pertaining to the mind, which is interesting because that's what uh, psychedelic means in Latin, right? Mind revealing. Uh, and then finally, uh, sacredness, right? I find sacredness could be a synonym of awe as well. Uh, then uh, whether they had a positive mood. Uh, third was transcendence of time and space. And the fourth was ineffability, right? something that was beyond words. We've talked about this before. Um, when we don't have words, right? Uh, we tend towards uh, the religious experience, those sorts of words, but in, in this case he even added those experiences that were beyond uh, even the context um, that religious experience uh, allowed them, neither here nor there. Uh, the, uh, the insights he had uh, were put down in Drugs and Mysticism, 1963, Walter uh, Punky. I'm going to definitely have to find that on... Um, I've actually had a little break between what I recorded earlier and what I'm recording now. And I, and I couldn't find a very easy, uh, accept, accessible copy. Uh, but I will continue to look. So I like that. Uh, they continued on uh, and they explained uh, the importance of highlighting the positive. And they mentioned Rick Hansen, PhD. I've mentioned him before, his um, hardwiring happiness. I think I even mentioned him last podcast. So this idea of um, uh, a bad experience is like Velcro to us and a good experience is like Teflon. We don't hold on to him. Right? So the secret to our negativity bias is to highlight the positive. I mean, it makes perfect sense. Right? And uh, so he says, uh, our ancestors, or this is me, I apologize, uh, our ancestors are the most negative fear or slash danger-seeking animals. Right? Because I argue that forecasting danger is not that far off from forecasting the future. Right? So in a modern context, this fear of danger uh, is doubt. Right? So I, I see this connection between our ancestors were the best at predicting um, danger understanding um, whether their fear was correct. Uh, fast forward to today, as I said, the best forecasters are those with a healthy sense of doubt. So number three is reification. I find that very interesting. Uh, reification is simply conversion of the abstract into the concrete or treating an idea as a thing. He mentions according to philosophers reification. Well, I made a note of synchronicity by another name, and lo and behold, absolutely. Um, I would equate this to Dostoevsky's 2 plus 2 must sometimes equal 5. Right? He talks about solid, which is a fluid. Um, he said in our evolutionary history it was important um, because we could remember there's berries by the river. I don't know the exact context and how that relates, but um, I like this uh, idea, pattern recognition, right? Reification is seeing, I've mentioned this recently, seeing what we consider 
uh, an important pattern in chaos, even though there may not be. Right? So he says, uh, thinking, uh, experience, uh, or an emotion is permanent. Right? So our our natural um, tendency was to find patterns, but we we tend to uh, see these patterns as fixed, uh, permanent, and that can lead to fixed thinking, where we have to. Uh, understand how important uh, fluidity is, or doubt. So the fourth here was uh, the problem with selfing. And I argue maybe inherence, uh, right? because, like I said, the self is our greatest tool and our greatest barrier to insight. But he talked a little bit about dominance uh, in nature versus how that represents in the human creature. So we tend to not develop a, a hierarchy like animals, but we, we tend to try to fit in and we have a, a similar sort of dominance, but it's a comparison, a hierarchy. Right? So we compare ourselves to others. Um, now we're looking at antidotes to suffering. right? So we mentioned befriending our demons developing metacognitive awareness, embracing impermanence, and developing transpersonal awareness. But I just want to highlight that in Buddhism, befriending our demons could be acceptance. To Carl Jung, that's the integration of the shadow. Developing metacognitive awareness, that's in science, that's the placebo, and that's trust, that's faith. Embracing impermanence, well, that's just a given. I mean, that's impermanence. That's one of the... Uh, the, the heart of Buddhism is one of those truths that we learn. And developing transpersonal awareness, I mean, if, if that isn't a synonym for equanimity, I don't know what it is. But we, they mention the higher self, the Buddha nature, without actually mentioning the importance of equanimity. Right? So uh, this thought of why this helps us, this change of state, why it's become so um, ubiquitous with the human experience is because it helps us step out of this thought stream, right? Break these recursive loops, right? Allows us to change our state is how I prefer to call it. And he mentions some, just drops some words, interdependent. So I'll drop a word, pratitya samutpada, Sanskrit for codependent origination. He mentioned illusory um, in, in Sanskrit. It's maya. It means it's, it's all illusory. He talks about alternate states being possible through other means. So this idea of higher self, a God connection. I mentioned equanimity. I mentioned mahamaya, which is one of these manifestations of the God. Um, but it's just our ultimate illusion. So they move on and say, who am I? Right? Cultivating these transpersonal experiences. He mentions it's not my, but the. I find that a little awkward because I prefer, I say, it's not we, I mean, I say it's not uh, me and you uh, or them and us. I say it's we and us. Right? He says these are common affects. And so how do we make these experiences more beneficial? Right? So what happens during the transpersonal? I love this because he mentions the default mode network, which is the source of self. It's very similar between mindfulness, uh, 
meditation, reducing the default network and the sense of self, very similar to how psychedelic states or any of these um, transpersonal states, it quiets the default network, reduces the sense of self, allows us to see a possibility of a change, a change of state, a change of perspective, a change of idea, what, what, whatever it might be. So let's see here. Um, well, yeah, I mean, it's again, it allows us to see that these are actual natural tools of, uh, of our defenses, of our experience, so this integration allows us to not only understand where these um, experiences, these perceptions come from, um, but also allows us to manage them better going forward. Right? So we call, um, how important it is to cultivate these experiences, but also to integrate, integrate to therapy uh, and or mindfulness. Right? We talked about this earlier, how important mindfulness is to the experience. Uh, of either psychedelic therapy, therapy, or even the experience of everyday life. All right, highlights the idea of it not being about my, but being about the. Uh, I guess that's one step further than we and us. It's looking at um, a shared experience of everything, even um, uh, inanimate objects. Uh, again, the sadness, the sphere, anger, joy, these different experiences. Uh, he actually led them on a meditation. It began with a body scan, experiencing the feet on the floor, then following the breath, feeling the air on the skin, this uh, somatic uh, sensations, uh, somatic experiencing. Uh, then he asked him to experience uh, the feeling of sadness and where in the body they felt that sadness, to touch that area again, somatic experiencing. He did it with uh, fear and then finally with joy. Uh, the note I made uh, is it's interesting in Sanskrit there's multiple names for, for joy, right? Uh, Ananda and Piti just being a couple. Uh, then he says, uh, cliche, he says, breathe with the joy. I mean, that's, um, that's metta, that's uh, karuna meditation, very popular. It is very popular. Um, then he reviewed those, uh, the exercises and how these can slow emotions uh, without the negative loop, uh, reinforcing the negativity. They don't mention the word. I like catastrophizing, which happens so often. This recursive loop. I was surprised he didn't mention Hofstetter. He wrote a book about the self being a recursive loop, so it ties this together. We get these um, recursive loops of, of, of thinking, of catastrophizing, of anxiety belief systems, and the ultimate of these recursive loops of belief system is the self. Uh, so I wrote down, let it go, let it go, let it go, right? Because he talks about we can maintain these angers for days, maintain this anger for days. It's not about me. It's an often a lesson. It's right. It's not, I am experiencing anger. It's, I am, um, I am experiencing anger versus I am uh, the anger, or I am angry. So it's to, to this presence that we want to be, right? So we're experiencing these different states. This presence, he calls it a flow of consciousness. We're at flow with. Right? So don't get caught in these loops, right? It's, that's what we teach in meditation, right? Don't, um, don't attach. Just go with it. That sort of weird ideas. Uh, he mentioned a, a doctor, a Gene Bolte-Taylor... Uh, who had a left hemisphere stroke and, and could only experience emotions for 90 seconds. 
So arguably, is that the rest of us? Can we uh, allow these things to wash over us for and experience them for no more than 90 seconds? This uh, They mentioned freedom from personal experience. Well, freedom from being subject. Right? Not freedom from experiencing, but freedom from from being the subject of these experiences. Benefits of these uh, self-mini... Uh, you call them minimizations, right? It's the benefit of uh, self minimization, right? You, you don't make these things as personal because uh, we tend to compare ourselves up and down, win or lose, uh, but we always lose because we're comparing and nobody wins in this comparison. I'm going to note that this points to um, Nietzsche's eternal return again this idea that uh, treat everything as an experience, one step deeper would be to treat everything as ordered. It goes about uh, it goes on about talking about the different categories we tend to compare ourselves with others, right? Uh, are we athletic? Are we talented? Um, right? They're all used to identify who we are, our family, our job, our kids, politics, uh, relationships, uh, tribalism, if it's not used in the right way. Um, are we in the in crowd? He talks about even identity can be used. It's interesting. Uh, I like this takeaway, though, a non-contingent self. Right? So what part of you is you, but is not contingent on any of these things you're good at, uh, things you like? Right? What part of you transcends any, any reality, any experience, I guess you could say? So an accepted self, could we call it that? A true self, as, as Jung would say. But he goes on and says, again, this accept yourself, am I good enough, right, to get this Amor Fati. Um, so he, he said, uh, how do we experience this? Most of these experiences, most people have this shared experience of this judgmental, we're not curious as, enough, but we're judgmental. Uh, so he goes on and talks about the psychedelic-assisted uh, therapy allows people to have this experience similar to the Buddha nature, I would say equanimity, uh, and, it, and it opens people up to being less judgmental. It ties to the discussion of being um, uh, just open, uh, right? loving openness, I can't remember the term that he used. When we talked about the puppy, he said everyone loves a puppy. Uh, then he goes on to talk about, uh, well, for me, I did notice the, my critiques of mindfulness-based cognitive therapy were correct, and they're trying to fix it, right? They're adding in um, the importance of impermanence and, and some of these other truths. goes on to talk about a, uh, an adult development study that's been going on since the 30s, a Harvard study, looking at the quality of our relations, uh, relationships. He said there's even a TED Talk on this, the doctor. Um, he said we have uh, a real serious takeaway from this. He says it's not the impression we make, but the connection we make with others. So it ties into a couple of podcasts back where I say the heart of a lot of this malaise is this disconnection. Uh, from each other, from ourselves, what have you. 
So he goes on at conclusion, right? So there's quite a bit of a conclusion, but he said the conclusion here, he quotes this guy named Wu Wei Wu Wei. Uh, Wu Wei is a, a Yi Ching, um, and he's obviously taken that name because supposedly he was a fake Taoist sage from the UK. But his quote is interesting because he says, 99% of what we do every day is for yourself, but it doesn't exist. Right? So it's a paraphrase of his expression, but let that sink in, right? Like, we spin our wheels for something that doesn't even exist. They mentioned some new research. Uh, what can be... Um, well, what can we learn from psychedelic-assisted therapy that we can apply uh, to other therapies, right? And they mentioned the, uh, the course that they're selling. Uh, just a little deeper dive into this sort of idea. He says, what are the synergies with most of these other protocols? Right, he mentioned somatic, gestalt, interpersonal. Uh, so how to heal or cultivate these different states, right? To allow it to reach all levels of different types of therapy. He says uh, decades of mindfulness and, and meditation. He said they've been focused on um, trying to establish a, a stable sense of self. I find it funny because he admits that after decades of work, he still doesn't have a stable sense of self. What's funny, because there is no such thing as a stable sense of self, um, there's a stable sense of what we define as self, but there is no stable self, um, but it's just funny, it's funny that he admits that he's been uh, meditating for decades and, and he doesn't feel uh, that much better off uh, as far as an understanding of who the self is, nature of self. But as I've said before, uh, the difference between a good Buddhist and a bad Buddhist, a good Buddhist will, will define themselves as a bad Buddhist, and a, and a good, you know, vice versa. And a bad Buddhist is someone who would say that they're a good Buddhist. So he goes on and talks about uh, how important it is. I call it the godmother in this case, because he kept referencing this idea. Cultivating a connection to a greater self. I mean, a Mahamatri, this idea of a... I guess Jung's uh, collective unconscious, a uh, greater self, uh, William James, uh, like a, an extra sensory uh, consciousness. Now, whatever your definition of, of God, of, um, of uh, I mean, in, in India it's interesting because it depends on where you are. It's, it's all the same um, mother goddess, uh, say, but um, she has different names in different areas, but they do... They do mean the same thing. Uh, he just drops a little mention of self-leadership in internal family systems. He just mentioned self-leadership in IFS. But that's internal family systems. So I'd be interested to know a little bit more about this idea of self-leadership. Um, I believe it's just exactly what we've been talking about. The uh, internal family systems is just recognizing the gestalt of healing and psychology. Uh, then they went on to questions. We're almost done here. Uh, the first question was, uh, is there a connection to pain, right? Can we use uh, psychedelic-assisted therapy or the lessons uh, gleaned from this uh, and use it to heal the pain? And he agrees, absolutely, right? The psyche and the somatic are tied, get this gestalt. He says there, we have an aversion to pain, but we tend to embrace it. Uh, that was my note. Um, and it's funny because we he mentions uh, the importance of the experience um, 
like depression, we tend to disconnect. I wonder if there's a little something there. Um, even though we, we tend to try to uh, disconnect from pain by doing other things, uh, but are we really just, um, like you said at the very beginning, uh, this avoidance behavior, not just an emotional state, but uh, the argument is, is, is this physical pain is a subconscious emotion trying to uh, uh, get our attentions, our conscious attention. So he goes on, talks about non-ordinary states, non-ordinary states, transpersonal states. Uh, asked about aesthetic dance or sexual experience. We've talked about this. Um, it's important because the real takeaway here is that they do contain the same elements. He says uh, it's full immersion that matters. I've mentioned this multiple times, right? Buying in, that's the most important part. Uh, shraddha in Sanskrit, right? Devotion, commitment, confidence. Right. So he said he mentions the Sufis, uh, but he doesn't mention how it connects to the Buddhists in Taxila, where they all uh, learn together about these um, practices. And so I did make a note that it ties right back to the somatics and the non-ordinary states. Arguably, um, I've mentioned this before, that Siddhi is a Sanskrit word for um, like a supranormal power. So can it not work, uh, in this case, as if you're focusing intensely on your somatic experience to the point where you're completely in tune with it, or it doesn't distract you like many people do, it, that's that's a non-ordinary state. It really is, right? Um, right? It's a skill uh, that most people don't have. Uh, which ties into the next question. It's right, how do we bring this to society broadly? Uh, how do we uh, bring this to children? He says, uh, the self-confidence movement failed in children. Uh, maybe we should look at, instead of self-esteem, uh, maybe look at self-compassion, maybe tie them together. I make a very significant note. Once again, here's Nietzsche's uh, acceptance. Uh, the Amorphati, the eternal recurrence, with its roots in the Upanishads, obviously. Uh, he, he's funny because he talks about talking to a kid and he says, I was so crestfallen. I can't imagine very many kids are going to understand that, uh, right? 19th century reference. Right? But they go on to selling their course, so that's important. Um... And I like this here because he says uh, an important aspect, what they took away was uh, a lot of people mentioned needing to feel held, this feeling, feeling held, right? Feeling, and I made a note, this, is this the, my movable safety I've mentioned, right? This feeling accepted, feeling safe, feeling held, right? That's this movable safety we've been talking about. He mentions uh, joy and sorrow, Right, making a container. And I wonder, a container for, with the pain and connection, is it possible? So he mentions awareness, right? I mean, it's a synonym for mindful self-compassion, right? I made a note about stoicism, and it's not that far off, right? Accepting, being mindful, being present. Then, of course, they mentioned the contraindications, how important it is, uh, before you start doing any of these psychedelic-assisted therapies, you're going to have to get off some of these SSRIs, these MAOIs, um, because they can actually interfere. Never mind, uh, it's not uh, going to work as best as you might uh, like it to be. 
he goes on talking about how some of these recent studies have shown that SSRIs are not really giving that much of a benefit beyond maybe 10 or 15 percent. He says how important placebo is. Oof, yes, the negative placebo as well. Uh, mentions the drug interactions again, mentions the holotropic breathing and how it can be used, uh, the same as some of these psychedelics. Arguably, um, this breathing is tied to pranayama, as is Win Hof. I mean, it's a combination of... Uh, I mean, of course, I talked about him ripping off pranayama, but, you know, holotropic breathing as well. Uh, let's see here. So we moved on to uh, the different Dharma doors. Uh, he didn't really mention the attribution directly. Uh, nor did he really go into the fact that all of this stuff needs to be personalized. right? You can't just jump right into it. It has to be absolutely personalized. right? Then he mentioned that clinicians need a map of these uh, these non, non-normal states. Uh, there's Daniel Ingram. That's what he was doing over in England, supposedly, was trying to find a way to map these... Uh, these non-normal states for for medicine, so they wouldn't just map uh, map everyone in uh, the nut nutter category, right? Then there's a question about who's going to be certified to be able to do this. He said, uh, for the most part, it's likely going to be clinicians. Uh, with the mention of Oregon, might go a little fast and loose with that, but again, I think it's important that we get this out. Uh, there isn't a lot of answers about this, um, right, what what the future might hold with the therapy. But so I'll just mention uh, again, selfing as being infor- very important. It highlights that the self, greatest tool, right, to navigate this world, but also greatest barrier uh, to truly experiencing this world as it is. I made a note how important selfing is, but not so much that you become, uh, right, you're not... Right? You're not the base of the universe. You're not the center of the universe. Right? It's about balance, psychological flexibility. Uh, so there's mention of training doctors to not feel uh, mm, yeah, that one was a shocker. He was talking to a doctor. He said for years he was training doctors not to feel so it would interfere in their um, diagnosis, right, and in their healing. But technically, that's probably caused them to have a tremendous amount of of trauma. Never mind uh, the opposite. It would have impacted their diagnosis, their ability to diagnose. Right? So this balance, how important, right? Balance of focus and less focus, so we really do have to constantly work about on this. And it, he even makes mention of uh, faux size. So there seems to be uh, an area of psychi- psychology uh, devoted to focus. Then there's some mention about uh, prescriptions, whether there'll be professional guides, uh, ketamine being different from MDMA, significantly different. Uh, big mention of community, the Sangha, there's a Facebook group, um, and his five-week course. But again, it highlights the absolute importance of community because he keeps mentioning that most of the uh, benefits, the insights, the healing has come from a community, right? Uh, so, yeah, they need a reference. Uh, we need more research for this healing. 
And I guess final thoughts here. Uh, integration of this mindfulness. Always be learning what works and what does not work and how to integrate it. How to transform suffering, right? This underground world, right? How do we access it safely? We have to be careful, right? Because underground tend to mean, tends to mean illegal. Right? There's good guys, bad guys. He mentions the danger, right? Pure chemicals. Obviously, if you're getting plant medicine and you know where it's coming from, that's not what we're talking about here. So you have to be careful about what you use, where you get it from, all that idea, sourcing. Uh, but, and then he mentions you have to be careful because people tend to be harmed by some of this uh, practice. Uh, they can either be harmed by the, the therapists or they can be harmed by um, the, the drugs, the medication, even the therapy itself. Right, I've mentioned that. That's a big part of it. I didn't realize how harmful uh, mindfulness could be. But, so really the takeaway is their learning. They're paying attention and they're learning. Uh, they, they just take them a long time. I mean, Young was right. It takes them 20 years for this stuff to trickle down. So it's taken darn near 20 years or more for them to realize some of this early implementations of uh, dialectical behavior therapy, uh, cognitive-based therapy, mindfulness-based therapy. It just, it had a lot, lot to... It had a lot uh, that it needed to do. It wasn't there yet. So, good news is, is uh, they've kind of put this stuff together, and we're starting to uh, to get there. But mm, rewind four years ago, I guess I was right back then when I said it just seems to me that it's just relabeling uh, Buddhism, which is a reformulation of what came before. And, Arguably, it's one of these universals. It's, it's a human universal truth that we have to work on our traumas, big T, small T, whatever you want to call it, our experience. We have to use it as a guide, not as a hindrance. Same as the self. Self is a guide. It's a tool. It's not a barrier. So, on that, I'll leave you. Have a fabulous day.